Y'all grab a seat. We want to welcome the people who are watching online. And if you can't tell at home, it's cray cray in here in a good way. God is up in the house today. The Spirit is here. And speaking of Holy Spirit, we are in our second week of our Nudge series. And if you missed the first week, we defined the Nudge as the sudden, deep down sense from God that you ought to do something rather inconvenient in the moment. So it was February 11th, 1990, Tokyo, Japan. Mike Tyson was 37 and 0, undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world, taking on some no-name chump from Columbus, Ohio, a 42 to 1 underdog, Buster Douglas. There's no way this chump was going to beat Tyson. But in the 10th round, the unthinkable happened. Watch this. Credit to Buster Douglas for making this a big, big fight. Tyson trying to end it with one big shot again. He's down, he comes with the uppercut. Come on, Robert Buster's throwing shot back. was a big upset, arguably the greatest upset, some say, in boxing history, and it left a ripple in the boxing world. And we all kind of want to leave a, a, a mark. We want to leave a ripple in this life, don't we? And, but let's, let's, let's kind of evaluate how that happened, how that great upset happened. The truth is, it was largely due to Douglas's reach. Come on out here, Jeff. I'm gonna, Need, to, need a big fella to help me. So this is Buster Douglas. I'm little Mike Tyson. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and I don't want to fight you, okay? So, hey, what's that over there? No, I'm just kidding. All right. So um, uh, uh, the fighter's reach is defined by the distance between middle finger to middle finger, okay? <laughs> so let's see my little reach. Hang on. Okay, so, so you're Buster Douglas. All right, and so put your hand up. All right, okay, yeah, yeah. You see the pro- <laughs> Do you see the problem that Mike Tyson had? He loved to get inside, right? He loved the uppercut. He was famous for that, but he couldn't get inside because Buster Douglas's reach. Hey, thanks. Give him a hand. <laughs> Woo. So... Tyson had a 71-inch reach, and Buster Douglas had an 83-inch reach. That's a 12-inch reach advantage. And that reach made all the difference in the world. And so it is with this life, the Christian life. This life is largely about our reach. You see, we're talking about nudging. Well, the, the, everyone's born with a God-given reach. But we sit on that reach. So often, we don't do anything with that reach. And so the Holy Spirit, thank you, comes and it nudges us to reach out 
and make a ripple. Now, I know you think, well, okay, he's going to preach a message on legacy, about, about, about leaving this ripple. No, 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 I don't want to talk about the ripple. I want to talk about what facilitates you leaving a ripple. What facilitates people talking about you long after you're dead and gone up into eternity. What's going to leave a ripple? It's the reach. I'm not preaching about the ripple. I'm preaching about the reach that makes the ripple. The reach that makes the ripple. God is nudging you and I, friends, into a life of reaching. We got to get off our, our blessed assurances, man, and get out there and reach the people God's wanting us to reach. It's the reach that makes the ripple. Luke, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, we're going to see a, a woman with a big reach, and she created a huge ripple in her life and in the lives of those to come. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life that Jesus... Uh, uh, life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, just a heads up that the house is in Bethany, which is two miles east of Jerusalem. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, and, and I love it, he answered him, he didn't say that out loud, Jesus read his mail. And so he said, Simon, I have a, something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 500 denarii would represent two years' worth of wages. The 50 would represent only two months. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord God, thank you for this powerful example from this woman. I pray that we learn from this woman, that we would glean from her example of what it means to be nudged into a life-changing reach that will leave a ripple that outlasts us. Help us learn that today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's a, it's a red carpet event in Bethany. All the religious elite are all gathered in Simon's house. Anybody that mattered was there. And Jesus was on the guest list. 
And so you have to understand, it was customary to leave the door open. Why? Because the Pharisees, they loved to allow people to wander in and hear them talk about such intelligent, religious stuff. And they would just pontificate and they would go on and on because after all, they were so elite. They were so knowledgeable. So people would wander in and they liked it. But they wouldn't allow women. See, women were not invited to the banquet in that custom. In fact, a rabbi... A Jewish teacher, remember, Jesus was a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, would not even speak with a woman in public or eat with a woman in public, let alone a sinful woman. This woman, we believe, was a prostitute. And so you can just imagine, put yourself there. This woman comes into this banquet, comes up behind Jesus, and, and, and keep in mind, the... Uh, <laughs> When you come up, when, you, when, when they were eating, they would, they would lean with their left hand on the table. They would use their right hand to eat, and they would kind of kick their feet out. And so she came up behind Jesus, and you could imagine the scowls on their face. You could imagine them looking at her like, what are you doing here, lady? You don't deserve to be here. And she comes up, and you can just see her tears just pouring out of her, heartbroken, like, tears of uh, maybe of, of shame for the life that she had lived and, and just pouring, just pouring so much that they're just, it's wetting his feet with her tears. And so at some point she drops down and uses all she has, her hair, to literally wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she kisses his feet as a sign of reverence. And, and as if that weren't enough, then she... She takes the alabaster box, the, the jar of, of, of perfume, and, 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 and saved months, may, maybe saved a lifetime. Maybe that was the one thing that she had in the world's eyes that had worth, meaning, and value. The one thing that she had that she saved months for, she pours it out onto the feet of Jesus. She's used to reaching for men. But now she's in a posture of praise. She's on the ground, and instead of reaching for men... She reached for Jesus. Before you reach out in this life, your first move is to reach up for Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. We got to reach up for Jesus. We're used to reaching out. I got a problem. They call my therapist. Oh, you got a problem? Let me get my wallet, right? Or I don't know how to do something. Let me, let me, let me get on YouTube. And, and, no, no. Reach for Jesus. Reach for Jesus. We're so accustomed to, to, remember last week we talked about groundwork? Groundwork for God work? Hey, where was she positioned with, when she's wiping, kissing his feet and wiping on the ground? She was, there was a groundwork posture for a God work blessing. Groundwork for a God work. And I just wonder sometimes, the, the word, the word for, for worship in, in the New Testament is, 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 is uh, proskuneo. You know what that means? It means to bow down, to crouch, or to fall flat. She was literally on the ground where the only place that she could reach out wasn't out, but rather up to Jesus and said, Jesus, only you can forgive me. Only you can fix my brokenness. I'm not calling my therapist. I'm not calling the shrink. I'm not calling the guy, my next door. No, no, I'm coming to you, Jesus, and I'm reaching up for the only thing that can save me. What's your first move? 
Is your first move out or is your first move to reach up for Jesus? Man, we were, uh, it was 2011. We were living in this camper, six of us in a camper, 32-foot travel trailer for 99 days. It was miserable besides the fact that I didn't have a mortgage, which was awesome. Not to mention, we got one bathroom, one little measly little toilet in that sucker. And my wife feeds those little kids high fiber diets, which didn't help matters. Thank God for poopery. That just saved my marriage. But there was, we called it the throne room. Yeah, that's what, that was a nickname for it, the throne room. You know, we, you only got one throne in your heart. And I think a lot of times we're trying to, people are competing for space on that throne. I think sometimes we want to sit on the own, our own throne of our own heart. And God says, no, 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 that's reserved for me. And we kind of like want to, we, we feel like somehow like we're worthy. Listen, I am not worthy. You are not worthy. We are not worthy to sit on the throne of our heart. And so what does God do? He sends the Holy Spirit. Remember last week we talked about the function of the Holy Spirit. One of the functions was to, to, to speak truth to us, which is much needed in this day and age. Well, another function of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin. John 16, 9. And when he, the nudger, comes he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. God's saying, look, you got some stuff in your life you got to work on. Get off the throne. Let me sit on the throne and let me lead you. Holy Spirit wants to lead us, and part of leading us is convicting us. We say, well, I'm not, I'm not sinning. I'm not lying. I'm not stealing. That's awesome. That's our sins of commission. But what about sins of Omission. Woo, snap. Sins of omission is when God tells us to do something and we don't do it. Like, mm, let me think. Loving people? Hey, Simon, you will be known by your love. Really? Well, then I'm not known very well because he didn't love her. That's a sin of omission. Loving, giving, serving, doing the things that God's called us to do, that's obedience. That's those are sins of omission. I just wonder how many times we're guilty, I'm guilty of, of, of sins of omission. I love, uh, I love what Ron Smith said. He said, there was a time when people went to church, heard the truth, and wept over their sins. Today, people go to church, hear a motivational speech, and ignore their sins. Wow is right. May the gathering not be that kind of church. Like, we love to have fun. We love to celebrate but we are a people in need of Jesus. And I know it's not sexy to talk about sin, but we will talk about sin because we need Jesus in our life. And, and, and so, so how do we reach up? How do we say, okay, I want to reach up, Pastor John. How do I do it? Number one, we repent. We repent. Repent is to turn away from sin and to turn toward Jesus. That's repentance. There's going to be opportunity later to, to do that. So we reach up by repentance 
Some of us, it's rededication of our life. We've kind of like just kind of going through the motions. We've been Christian for 37 years, and I ain't no better at loving my wife or loving my kids. I'm still a jack wagon. I'm still messed up. And God's saying, there's more. There's more. You want to leave a ripple? You got to reach. And that reach looks like rededicating your life. For some people, reaching is reacting. Reacting to what God, getting off our butts and actually reacting to what God is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. Just like Alan. Where's Alan at? You, Alan, you in here? Alan's right there. So that's Alan Dottie. Meet Alan Dottie. He, uh, he submitted his nudge story. I'm going to read it for you. He said, I'm 42 years old and have never been a man of faith. For a long time now, I've considered myself successful, at least by secular metrics often used. But something has been missing and, and my life is unfulfilled. It wasn't until about six months ago that I even accepted the possibility of God. But over the last six months, I felt more and more pressure to do something. That's called a nudge about my faith. And finally, I listened. Last week was the first time I've set foot in a church since I was a boy. My nudge, I think, is being here. Thank you, Alan Dottie. <laughs> it's awesome. And you know why he's standing over there? He's, this is his third week, and he's already signed up to serve. He's serving on our safety team. He's already been background checked and on our safety team. He's uh, got his, uh, he's already part of the next class. Which it's, if you're new, the next class begins the first of every month, and it's an awesome time to get plugged in. He's already taken the next class, and he's already in a small group, and he's been here three weeks. Friends, him coming here, him listening to the Holy Spirit and, and listening to that nudge and reaching out and coming here to the gathering... That was the reach that creates a ripple in his life. Amen? Amen. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. Who? And what kind of woman she is? Sinner. Hmm. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I've been to that church. And I don't want to be that church. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me say that more accurately. I've been that guy. How about that? I've been that guy. I've been Simon in my life. Hmm. Some of you are, 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 you're going through something right now. God nudged you into something. You reached with all your might. And it's not working out. I'm preaching to someone today. I don't know who it is. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here today. You reached, you listened to the Holy Spirit, and you went for it, and it's not working out. I want to set you free. That oftentimes there are consequences, not for doing the wrong thing, but also for doing the right thing. Sometimes you do the right thing, and you still got to suffer consequences. It, it's dark, and so you're like, God, it's, it's dark, what am I doing? God said, don't doubt in the dark what I've shown you in the light. What I spoke to you in the light is still true in the dark. Just because it's dark doesn't eradicate truth. And so you're walking through a dark season and God says, don't doubt. I know you can't see it. Even when I don't see it, you're working, right? It's not just a song. It's truth. He's working. He's working. But that's a, that's a lesson I learned at a very young age is that sometimes God calls you to do the right thing and there's consequences for doing that right thing. I was in the seventh grade and this, this class bully named David he would make fun of Christians. He wasn't a believer. And one day he asked me, he said, hey, John, um, 
you go to church? And, uh, and I wanted to just like, I'll be honest, I wanted to be like, no, nah, man, because he's a big dude. He's like about the size of Jeff, right? And he's a big dude and he's a bully. And he'd already, I known he had already beat some people up. And I didn't want to be next on his list. And I'm like, and then I remember Matthew 10, 32, 33. Whoever acknowledges me before my father in heaven, I too acknowledge him. Right? Or whoever acknowledged me on earth, I too acknowledge him before my father in heaven. Whoever disowns me on earth, I will disown him before my father in heaven. I'm like, okay, and I feel the Holy Spirit. Come on, don't sell me out. Don't sell me out. Holy Spirit's convicting me. Don't sell me out. And I said, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, man, yeah, I love Jesus. And anyways, that led to a whole big issues, so much so that it was like, I don't know, a week later, he, he called me out. You young people don't even know what it means to call somebody out, do you? You know what that, you know what that means? How, how old are you? Uh, 37. You're 37? You know what that means? Yeah. What does it mean? It means to uh, put them on blast. Put them on blast. See, now, why had to go, you had, to, you had to go modern on me. I'm going old school, now you just change it to modern. Put them on blast. You're flipping the script, man, come on. Calling you out means, I'm going to call you out, I'm going to fight. Right, I call you out. So he called me out, and so I'm like, so I had to defend myself, and so we, we went to, after school one day to this place, because he was, he was going to whip me, whether I liked it or not. And so I went, and I, try, you know, I tried to talk him out of it. Hey, listen, we can work this out. There was no working it out. He was, and so I, it was my first fight, never been a fight before. Never had any professional training like my man who's in mixed martial arts right there. Okay? I didn't have any of that, but I did have the karate kid. <laughs> One of Bruce Lee's famous quotes I fear not the man who practices 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man who, kicks, who practices one kick 10,000 times. That was me. Right? Now, I'm not going to lie. I didn't exactly do the whole crane thing. I did, I, but but I, I used that principle. And I would show you, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I'm not going to show you because it's not going to work out probably good. But, but so, he, so he came at me, and sure enough, I did the only thing I knew, and, and it was instinctual. Like, he came at me, and I just I kicked him. I had great flexibility, great extension, great reach, and got him right in the face, knocked him down. I dropped him. He got back up, but not to fight. He got back home to go to mommy and cry in the fetal position all night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. All right. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But the problem was, when I kicked him, and there's a reason I don't want to do this in, in here, I split my pants open. No, I'm not going to do it again. You know how people will not come back if they see, you can't unsee that, okay? So, so there I am driving, four, or riding on my bike four miles home. That's how far we lived from school because we, didn't, we weren't like silver spoons, you know what I'm saying? We didn't have like a limo that came and picked us up like y'all. Okay, so I rode my bike four miles with no, you know, with, yeah, yes, that built-in air conditioning, right? And it was, it was miserable. And I'm thinking when I'm riding, I'm like, God, you could have prevented that. You could have stopped that. I, I, I read your word. I know what you're capable of. And he's like, what about Paul, who was beaten and flogged for doing the right thing? What about Peter, who was crucified upside down? What about Stephen, who was stoned because he stood for Christ? How are you so different, Johnny boy? Right? So God, Holy Spirit spoke to me and dealt with me. And we got to learn that sometimes we, we're going to reach, and it feels wrong, but it's the right thing to do. But, but I wonder how many Simons we have at this church. 
I mean, let's just keep it real. Like, I also wonder how many Karens we have. <laughs> there you go, huh? The old man got one on you. No, but like, I wonder how many Simons we, we have and how many times we've been to Simon. I wonder how many reaches, God-given reaches, people come in, broken, messed up people come in, and it's been rejected by people like Simon. If you really read the parallel account of this in, in Matthew 11, you know what Jesus preached right before this whole incident we read of, of today, right before the Simon's house? You know what he preached on? He said, come to me, and it's quite likely she was present. The woman was probably present to hear this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you. We change that. American church, you know what we do? We change it. We qualify, we categorize, we create factions. We create clicks. We say, come to me, all you except the person who hurt me, that SOB who did something to me, that son of Bartholomew <laughs> who did something, right? Come to me, everyone, except for that guy. Oh, you know who, you know who I'm talking about, that girl, that person. Or, or, or come to me, all you except those who struggle with sexual sin because the church doesn't like people who sin differently. Come to me, all of you, except for those who have had an abortion. All got really quiet. Where do we stand on all that stuff? We stand with Jesus, precisely where he stood. We don't change that. We're not, we're not welcoming that lifestyle. But like Jesus, he came to seek and save the lost. We are a spiritual hospital for broken people who need Jesus Christ. And you will be welcome to this church. You will be welcomed. See, because Jesus was trying to get Simon to see what the woman saw. And that's this. Your reach was meant to change your world. Simon couldn't see it, but she could. That her reach, her God-given reach under her, her authority, under her power, under her volition, had the power to literally change her world. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, hey, Simon, do you see her? And I just wonder, do we see the people that God puts in our path, the people that we're supposed to reach at the gym, right? At the gym. Come on, girl, right? Yeah, you're here. You're here because of the gym, because we talk, right? At the gym or, or at the bank or at the soccer field, like wherever you work or hang out, like I just wonder if, if we see the woman, that person's all around us. That reach is meant to change our world, but we've got to see the people God puts right in front of us. Anybody see Jesus Revolution? Good movie, right? Good movie. Well, here's the thing about Jesus Revolution. So Chuck Smith had to welcome broken, messed up, drug-using, stinky hippies in his church. And don't you know he caught all sorts of crap for that. And it reminded me of our church. When we first started, we're like, we're family authenticity mission. Man, we love messy people. Look out. Yeah, you're laughing because you're one of the few people that are still here. 
Because here's what you can ask Nick. It turns out that, that people love that when it lives on a T-shirt. We love messy people. And then messy, broken, jacked up people come and sit in where, you're, where you sit every week. And you know what happened to a lot of people at the gathering? They went bye-bye. They're gone. And I had to, we had to fight early on for our values. We had to fight, man. We are going to be a church that, that's not just for the elite people, but for the real broken people who need Jesus Christ. And that hasn't changed, thank God. Whew. You say, why does it matter? Why does the whole hippie, you know, that movie and all that stuff matter? Well, you know what? If it weren't for Chuck Smith allowing those hippies in his church, your pastor would not be here. What do you mean, Pastor John? Well, guess who, guess who used to hang out with Lonnie Frisbee? He's in the movie. Guess who used to hang out with Lonnie in, 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 in Nevada, California? My dad. My dad was a drug-using, heroin-shooting hippie that was into sex, drugs, and rock and roll looking for answers. And it was largely that hippie movement, that movement that, that literally saved his life and allowed me to be born and be a pastor. Your reach is meant to change your world. And, and here's what it comes down to. Here's what it comes down to. We're one of two things. Anybody knows, know, know what this is? Thermometer, thank you. Because somebody, some jack wagon in the first service said a pregnancy test. <laughs> Threw me off a little bit. Because I'm like, I mean, you're telling me there's a chance? I don't know. Um, no, it's a thermometer. And a thermometer reflects the climate. It doesn't really help anyone or anything reach. It just reflects the climate. This, on the other hand, is a thermostat. This reflects the climate. This sets the climate and causes things and people around them to rise up to where it's set. And I just have one question for all of us today. Are we a thermometer or are we a thermostat? Because thermostats change the world, amen? Amen. Which one are you? Which one are we? We're called to be, we're called to be a thermometer and I'll tell you, We've got several at this church, one of which, one of whom I will say is, is a young lady. She's not in this service, but Christina Norad. She limped into the gathering, I don't know, maybe two years ago. She came from another church, and she had what she described as church hurt. But I want to change that term. I want to stop using that term. It's people hurt. Churches don't hurt people. Jesus, don't blame it on the bride of Christ, right? Like, don't blame it on Jesus. Like, we mess it up. We mess I. So it's people hurt. So she came in with people hurt, and, um, and she was like sitting on the sidelines. She said, I'm not doing anything. But God nudged her, God nudged her, God nudged her about a year ago to start serving where she has been called to serve, and that is in kids' ministry. And she has made a huge difference. Just two months ago, she got another nudge, and that is to create Holy Week Kids Packs. 
full of all sorts of activities and fun crafts and different things to do that we will be disseminating. We'll be handing these out next week because that's the beginning of Holy Week. You want to know what Holy Week's all about? Ask your kids. They're going to know all about it. They're going to be able to preach to you what Holy Week is all about. Why? Because some girl got a nudge. God activated her reach, and she reached, and she said, you know, Pastor John, when she went to Aaron and said, hey, can can we do this? Aaron said, of course we can. And so they worked hard on this, and it's an awesome activity. And see, it seems little. It seems small. But, friends, that's the reach that creates the ripple. It's the reach that creates the ripple. So Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can, he hits Simon hard with the reality of love. And listen, don't miss this. Someone, you've been wondering your whole life why so-and-so in your family doesn't love. You know someone like that who's like, who just kind of sucks at loving someone? Okay. I don't know if that's an amen. But no, someone who struggles to to love someone. Why? I can show you biblically why. This is going to answer some questions you've had for many years. So remember what happened. Jesus asked, which person uh, would love the lender more? The person who's been forgiven two years worth of wages or two months? To which Simon replies, well, the one with the bigger debt forgiven. Then Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, whoever thinks that their need for forgiveness is small, if you think you need to be forgiven little, you are going to love little. Why does that person in my life, why does he, he's so bad at loving people? Because he thinks his need for forgiveness is small. The difference was the woman, (laughs) she knew. She knew she was broken. She knew she was messed up and only Jesus could fix her. She knew she needed forgiveness. And friends, your ability to love someone, your ability to reach is directly proportional to your assessment of your need for forgiveness. There it is. A lifelong question answered. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now. I see. What wretch are we talking about? Who's the wretch? Is it, is it Simon? Is it the woman? Friends, the wretch is me. I'm the wretch to whom the song refers. 
and so are you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. There is a debt that you and I created that we cannot pay apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. You and I were wretches saved by the grace of a living God who came to redeem us. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Needy people reach further. You want to reach far in this life? You want to do something great? You want to leave a ripple that people are going to talk about long after you're dead and gone? You want to do that? So do I. We got to be needy. We got to be needy. We got to acknowledge our own need for God's grace and forgiveness. I'm the wretch. Here's proof that needy people reach further. Jesus said to the woman, your faith, that is your reach, has saved you. Go in peace. She came for forgiveness. God said, I'm going to give you that and so much more. I'm going to give you salvation. I'm going to give you forgiveness, but I'm going to give you salvation and a peace that passes all understanding. You're going to leave out this joker's house changed, transformed, made new. Friends, her reach <laughs> left one heck of a ripple in her life. And I can't wait to meet her in heaven. I can't wait to, say, to meet her and say, you're the woman. You're the woman that reached for Jesus. I've been, I've been wanting to meet you. Do you understand the cross today? The cross is a transaction. Colossians 2.14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. There's a receipt for it. Put the receipt up. Sin, paid. Shame, paid. Pain, paid. Past mistakes, paid. Rejection and loneliness, that's paid too. Slavery and sin, paid. Spiritual death, paid. Friends, we, we, Jesus paid it all so that we could listen to the nudge of the Holy Spirit and reach into our world and create a ripple that will outlast us. I love what Henry Blackaby wrote. He said, Christianity is not believing the truths of the Bible. It's acting upon them and allowing God to control your life. You must respond to God and make the choice to interact personally with him. Friends, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Give us that opportunity to respond to Jesus, to respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do is I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. I'm going to move this thing because the throne can only be occupied by, by Jesus. And so we're going to reel this cross out. And I'm going to invite you. We're going to sing another song. I'm going to invite you to respond. I'm going to invite you. That cross represents Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come like the woman and kneel at the feet of Jesus and reach up to him. Reach up to Jesus and respond. Now, maybe this isn't for you and that's okay if it's not. But it was for a lot of people first service. One bunch of people up here, you know what, God, the, here's a Holy Spirit story. The Holy Spirit nudged me. I only prayed with one person. I said to go to this, this couple that was praying here. With, they had a child and two. You know, after I prayed for them, you know what he told me outside? He stopped me in tears in his eyes. He said, thank you for praying for me. Two days ago, 
I tried to commit suicide. I just got out of the hospital. Tears flowing down. That's a nudge. Like literally, I'm preaching about the reach that leaves a ripple. And God told me when I'm sitting over there, go pray for them. That's what I'm talking about. I want to invite you to respond to what God is doing. <laughs> this might be your reach. This might be the thing that is the impetus in your life, the, the fork in the road where God does something because you were willing to respond. And if it's not for you, stay in your seat. But if it is for you, get your butt up here. Get on your knees and you reach to Jesus knowing that he's going to do a work in your life that will leave a ripple. That is the reach that makes the ripple. Would you stand to your feet? And I invite you to come.